Today we're continuing our sermon series around the theme meant for more and this week the series is about from me to we. We're going to be looking at the text out of Ephesians, the third chapter, so you can be finding that and we'll read it in just a moment. But I want to give us a little backdrop to what we're talking about from me to we. We'll be addressing this topic and and all of us understand, particularly this morning, that the Christian church was never meant to be an individualistic experience or faith, but is totally about the we of who we are, even our God, three in one, the we, whom we pray to. The Christian faith is all about relationships, and our our key relationship, of course, is with God, and our relationships with other people are so key as well. We call that community. Christian faith is meant to be lived out in community. And so the key to this community that Paul addresses in Ephesians is prayer. And that prayer that that centers us on the love of God and how the love of God changes our lives. When that love indwells us, it makes a difference. It makes us new. You know, one of the most caring actions that we can be about um, in Christian community is the action of prayer. Now, prayer naturally moves us from the me to the we. And I literally pray for people all the time. That's what we preachers do. I mean, that's part of the profession, the vocation, isn't it? And so we find ourselves praying for people uh, when we visit them in the hospital. You know, when people come into my office, I always want to pray with them before they leave. Even if they're coming to sell me something, I'm going to pray whether I buy or not. That's kind of what we do. But we can get so caught up in the routine of us praying that we, we forget that connection of prayer in our own personal devotional time. We've got to keep that connection alive and well because prayer is so important to the community. You know, how many of us this week have been praying for those in Las Vegas? Maybe you have known somebody Um, Or maybe you know somebody who knows somebody who was impacted by that that horrible incident there. I'm going to be saying more about that. You know, whether our prayers were general or whether our prayers were more specific, we were people who um, no doubt this week found ourselves with so many people in this country and across the world praying connecting with God and connecting with people we don't even know, but we can only imagine the suffering and pain that so many have been going through. So one thing that reminded me um, about the power of prayer and community was this, this, this particular phrase. What happens in Vegas didn't stay in Vegas, did it? You know, we've heard that commercial. Maybe we've smiled at it. Maybe we've laughed out loud. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Not this. What happened in Vegas didn't stay in Vegas, but it spread literally throughout the world as we find ourselves kneeling in prayer for those who are negatively impacted there in that city and throughout this country. We're going to say more about that, but the point is 
that we are people called to prayer action. And our prayers should lead us to actions of love. That's what Paul is getting at in his text. You know, late Thursday afternoon, I was driving to East Texas. Fancy that. And my father had this um, early Friday morning uh, heart procedure, um, heart cath. And, you know, I wanted to get there. I spent the night with him Thursday and, and wanted to be there so we could get to the hospital real early. And on, on my drive, um, a pastor friend of mine called and I answered, hands-free, of course. And, and my pastor friend who called, he said, you know, Stan, I'm just calling to tell you I'm praying for you. Now, he didn't know about my father. He, didn't, he, he just wanted to call and tell me, I'm praying for you. And, and one of the, um, the, the great aspects of community is to hear those words. How many times have you heard those words? I'm praying for you. And so we visited a little while. And, and, and as we were drawing our conversation to a close, I said, hey, you know, I'm heading to East Texas because my father, he's having a heart procedure in the morning. Uh, would you pray for him too? And he said, Sure. And then he said, yes, where I'm headed. I said, where? He said, well, I'm heading from East Texas to Dallas to be with my father who has a procedure in the morning. Would you pray for him? Well, I said, of course I'll pray for him. That's, that's what we do. And then another pastor called me on that drive. He was my parents' former pastor. And he had um, heard about my dad going in for that little procedure and and so uh, we talked a little while, and uh, then toward the end of the conversation, he said, tell old Don. Now, that's the way my dad introduces himself. I'm old Don from Chandler, Texas. And so when Jeff said, tell old Don that I'm going to be praying for him tomorrow, I couldn't wait to get off the phone so I could call old Don. And I said, Dad, guess what? I said, your former pastor called me just a few minutes ago. And uh, we had a good visit, and he said to tell old Don he's going to be praying for him. And my dad said, well, you tell him to pour it on. <laughs> now, that is so my dad. Tell him to pour it on. And, and, but, but what does pour it on mean anyway related to prayer? Is it? Is it to pray extra, to, to fervently pray more seriously or directly or with a greater impact? You know, what does pouring it on mean related? Well, we're not going to unpack that theologically this morning. But simply stated, my dad and his pastor friend shared some information about prayer and care. And love. And here I was, the man in the middle, who just got to pass the word on. Dad, your former pastor called to say he's praying for you. And pour it on really meant, and I love him too. That's what it's about in prayer. It, it, it's that action that centers the community on the love that Paul speaks about. And let's get there and let's read it right now. From Ephesians, the third chapter, beginning with the 14th verse. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. For this reason... 
I kneel or I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may, may grant you, he may, may, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through the Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's where we're ending, but I have to end with that last couple of verses that is a benediction that many pastors use. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed. I mean, you may be seated. You got your hopes up, right? I want to unpack this scripture for just a moment. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, Paul said. So Paul begins his prayer for the Ephesians. He's telling the Ephesians, I'm praying for you. I'm kneeling before God for you. With deep emotion and humility, I kneel. So Paul begins his prayer by kneeling and thanking God for having promised to build the people of the church together, to build us into a we. And he said earlier in the second chapter of Ephesians, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And, and kneeling before the Father is an act of ultimate respect and it is a symbol of submission. I love it that this morning Jimmy made sure we sang blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Perfect submission. Perfect submission. And, and, and we, sing, we sing about that perfect submission and, and what Paul is talking about is a perfect submission that we symbolize or he symbolized in his kneeling before the Father in prayer. It's like you kneel before a king or you kneel before a queen in, as a sign of respect and submission. And in that sense, that's how Paul was kneeling. Now, we get a bit confused today about kneeling, don't we? I'm kind of tired of talking about kneeling on the one hand. But on the other hand, let's make no mistake about Christian community is about kneeling before the Father, acknowledging our submission, and an act that is like coming to the throne of grace. And when we do it on behalf of another, no greater act of love could be shown than our taking those prayers to God for another. And then in the 15th verse, 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul reminds the Ephesians that they no longer are foreigners or strangers, but they're fellow citizens with God's people. We were meant for community. We're meant to be part of of a family, a family of families. This new church that God has established through Christ is one in whom everyone, Jew and Greek, rich and poor, male and female, young and old, educated and uneducated, and the list would go on and on as Paul is saying, in Christ we are one family, a family of families, coming together in his love. What a unique message to the world that God's intention is for us to know his grace, the richness of his grace. So catching Paul's fervency for prayer begins with humbling ourselves before God and in thanksgiving, giving to God in prayer the needs of another or the needs of ourself, that we recognize that relationship and how important prayer is to it. So what we're saying is we're giving God thanks for what we don't deserve and what we haven't earned and we have a place in the family because we pray to a God of grace. We're part of the family. So after humbly thanking God, Paul then prays, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through the spirit in, his inner, in your inner being. So Paul's been talking about suffering in the past few chapters in Ephesians. And it's important for us to realize the strength that Paul is praying for us to have in our inner being is all because of the suffering he's been addressing in the chapters earlier in this letter. There's a connection there. And Paul is saying to the Ephesians that, that, that he wants us to know strength especially in the midst of our suffering, especially when we're facing suffering. So suffering either in the form of of persecution from others or tribulation that comes upon us because of a fallen world, God wants to strengthen us in our inner being. So Paul reminds the Ephesians that Christ's power to strengthen and to transform their lives is not something they experience in isolation. It's something they experience in community. And this is so that we might not only survive, but with Christ's love dwelling in us, we can make good decisions amidst life's pain and suffering. You know, last Sunday night, we gathered um, in Asbury Hall for the One concert. It was our way of doing world communion this year. Now, now we've gathered in the past. I remember several years, we partnered with St. Luke's Community Church. And St. Luke would come here with their preacher and their choir some years. And we'd go there with our preacher and the choir. and, and, And we would trade and we'd have this world communion Sunday with the two congregations coming together and saying we're one in Christ. One of the strongest statements that the Christian church has for we 
is the Sunday we call World Communion Sunday. Because literally in that day, all people all over the face of the earth are celebrating communion and acknowledging that we are a bigger community than the one you see here. We're connected through what Christ offers us. And we were called together last Sunday night by the Crosswalk Band. But we gathered there not only as Lover's Lane, but there was the cosmopolitan um, the church there, a Baptist church, a black Baptist church, and there was the Real Hope Church that was there. And, and our fellowships, the Deaf Fellowship, the Zimbabwean Fellowship, also uh, gave leadership and led in, in worship. And we all gathered around the Lord's table. And the Lord's table was beautifully set with all different kinds of loaves, and kind of representing the, the many different colors and, and, and aspects of the Christian community. But it's not that it was set so beautifully. It's that it was set by Christ himself. Every time we gather for communion, it's, it's a time when we acknowledge that we're one in Christ who sets the table, who initiates the invitation. So communion is that ultimate reminder that through Christ's suffering. We are not alone, and it is God who invites us to his table. We come humbling ourselves, and at its best we come kneeling, just like Paul did in praying for the Ephesians. We come not as one, but we call it communion because we come together. So last Sunday night, as the, the bread and the wine were lifted up, through the praying of the Lord's prayer around the table. We were black and white. We were young and old. We were Baptist and Methodist and others. We were gay and straight. We were seekers and believers. And Jesus had set the table. It was a beautiful, beautiful service. The music took us to a level of worship that was so filled with the Spirit, so full of love, the playing and the singing of the band, the voices of the choral groups, the signing of the sign choir, all singing and signing of grace. It seemed like we were all hungry, and we are all hungry today. We're, we're hungry for unity. We're hungry for one. We're hungry for that we. We're, we're hungry to, um, to have those hugs that we experienced that night, to taste God's love and the sweetness of the bread and of the wine. And we were all fed. And last Sunday, no one went away hungry. You know, I got home and I was so full of the Spirit. I, 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 I was just so proud of what went on. I was so thankful. And World Communion Sunday came to an end with this horrific violence in Las Vegas. Where another person in this insane, indiscriminate gun violence rained down death and injury like we'd never seen before at this level. And you know, we, we ask ourselves, how can anyone reach a point in life to desire to bring about so much death how can we, the church, rest when there's so much transformation that's needed today?
for those who would say it was God's will or this in some way is an act that will fit into God's purpose. We just have to wait and understand. I would say, no, it's not my God's will. It's not my God's purpose. And my God can transform and redeem any situation, but it wasn't God's will that this man took so many lives and injured so many people. In fact, my God was the one who cried when people died, even when they died while saving other people. And my God loved us enough to give us freedom to make our own choices, but God again shuddered on Sunday when one of his creation had the capacity to, 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 to do so much destruction. You know, I like to think that God stood Sunday night as a light brighter than the billions of lights that are in Las Vegas, ready to illumine the darkness and on guard to redeem the worst of circumstances. That's where God is. We can say my God is good all the time and all the time God is good because we know that God desires to raise those from the dead, to heal those who have broken hearts. God stands as our strength in times of, of struggle, in times of suffering. It's that indwelling of the Holy Spirit in that love that causes our hearts to break, that such hatred would exist, such insanity rule the day. But God can move us. We can be moved to a place of right and good and love and peace and the calling of, to be peacemakers. You know, we never know when we stand beside someone who is lost. I mean lost. And filled with so much hate that she or he would take the life of a sister and brother. We often stand by those who are broken in spirit and who are hurting. And sometimes we even stand by those who are, are so broken in such a way, so deranged in such a way, so consumed by the me that they would take up arms and slaughter others. We've seen it so many times, so many times in this country. Sandy Hook, Virginia Tech, Orlando, San Bernardino. We could go on and on. And now Las Vegas. This reality makes so important our work, our work together. Singing and signing about God's grace and acting tirelessly in his love and in that grace. We've prayed for Las Vegas. No greater act of love could we do than centering all that we do in prayer. But there has to be more action. What will that action be? You know, all week the ladies were knitting and getting prayer shawls ready. We have 58 prayer shawls ready to go. If you know anybody who was impacted directly by that horrific action, that's an act of love. Today in the 
contemporary modern services, we wanted to light a candle. We had to go out and buy more candles. So we'd have 58. You know, we have to get to this point that we realize that, that, that we as a people have work to do. And that work is the work of our Lord's love to be shared with the world in need. We have a table to set where we can say that you are welcome at this table. Our suffering servant God invites you to his table and turns no one away. Is there any doubt that the good news needs to be heard by many? Monday morning I had a strange, strange image pop in my head. As we started seeing the, the face of the shooter. He too is part of the family, by the way. I started imagining, well, what if he'd have been at the concert Sunday night? What if he'd heard the gospel of love proclaimed? What if he'd heard that he was invited to that table? What, what if he'd seen so many people there together hugging on each other that even if we didn't know each other, we were just glad that we were one in Christ? What if he'd have been there? Now, I realize that's a stretch. I realize that's extremely hypothetical. But the point is this, there are those who need to hear the gospel of one Lord, one love that we're called to proclaim. As our nation turned to Las Vegas, this ultimate party city with all the gambling and all the shows, all the music, and 58 people killed and over 500 injured. This morning I awoke to images of Las Vegas on this Sunday morning with thousands of people holding candles and singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. This is Las Vegas. I once was lost, lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. What happened in Vegas is not meant to stay there. It's meant for more. It's meant for us to come together and to pray and engage in acts of love. Maybe to get political, but I'm not going to go there this morning. Related to gun laws. I don't know what God's going to call you to, call us to, but what I do know is that God will reign in His love 
and what happened in Vegas will not stay in Vegas. God won't have it that way. Amen.